Just as a disclaimer, we want you to know that some of the movies that we will be reviewing were shot in a different time and era where people of race and sex were not treated equally. We understand this and hope you do too. The movies or anything that happened on the sets are not the views of this podcast or what this show is intended to be all about. Exactly. And we want to give due diligence in presenting the movie and not the views of the cast or directors or anyone involved. But we also feel it's necessary to let the audience know some of the background information to get a feel for what was happening at the time of shooting the film. Again, we hope you understand that we do not agree with everything that went on and we just want to give out the information. And with that being said, hope you enjoy the show. Magnificent yogurt. Don't make a fuss. I'm just plain yogurt. Rick Moranis as Dark Helmet. Why don't we take a five-minute break? Spaceball. The movie. Smoke if you got them. And may the Schwartz be with you. Hi right, guys, welcome back to the Tragedy of Cinema podcast. I'm your host Jimbo, joined once again by my co-host Kyle and Mild. <laughs> Much less mild outside than it's freezing. No, it's yeah. It's, um, it's today we'll be talking about episode seventy-nine, Spaceballs. Spaceballs, the podcast. <laughs> balls in your space, everybody. Spaceballs. So, Kyle, if you were a character from Spaceballs, the movie. Who are you going to be? Oh, man. I, I'd want to be Dot Matrix. I didn't ask who you wanted to be. I said, who, who would, would you, you be? be? <laughs> oh, no. What is... I just wanted to be, debase myself. like, obviously, barf. Uh, <laughs> I was going more Pizza the Hut. <laughs> That's worse. Jimbo. Okay, which character would you be, Jimbo? Oh, man. Probably, probably Prince of Value. Oh, always tired. <laughs> So, uh, oh man, enough of this craziness. Kyle, go ahead and take away Spaceballs. Right. We have the movie Spaceballs, released on June 24th, 1987. Spaceballs was directed, written, and produced by Mel Brooks. Other writers include Thomas Meehane and 
Ronnie Graham, composer John Morris, cinematographer Nick McLean, and editor Conrad Buff the Fourth. Uh, for its budget, we have twenty-two point seven million dollars eighty-seven. In today's currency, they'd be worth about fifty-four point eight million. Opening weekend made six point six million, so we have a box office bomb right there. <laughs> but um, in today's currency, it'd be worth about fifteen point nine. And then gross worldwide, it made thirty-eight point one million. And that currency today would be worth about ninety-two million. Inflation is insane, going from eighty-seven to twenty twenty, and that's obviously a three three x increase. Twenty twenty-one, not twenty twenty. Twenty, it's uh, it's whatever year I say it is, Jimbo. That's, that's what it goes as. <laughs> going forth, we have the technical details. This movie has a runtime of just ninety-six minutes. But what a fun-filled laughter! Exactly. Ninety-six minutes. minutes. <laughs> 96 minutes of pure gold, that's what it is. We have a sound mix of 70mm 6-track and W Stereo 35mm prints. Color info, this is a color movie. Aspect ratio, we have 1.85 by 1. Camera use, we use the Panavision Panaflex. For the film length, we have 2,640mm, 2, or 9 film rails in length. And then for Switzerland, here, let's go on to the award. That's singular, not not awards. Um, <laughs> oh, they won one. Yeah, yeah. Spaceball yeah. is the award. <laughs> Spaceball is the award for most Spaceballs. A Spaceball movie. Yeah, <laughs> Mel Brooks swore it to himself every day. <laughs> Um, actually, unfortunately, in 1987, it got the Stinkers Bad Movie Awards. Oh. It won the Worst Picture Awards Awards of Mel Brooks. Um, they were wrong. <laughs> but also, he can wear it like a badge of honor. Like, right. Getting that kind of critical really back. at least won an award. Cool. Yeah, exactly. So, it's all good there. Um, let's see here. Going forward, we have different things to look at here. And we want to go to the cast of Spaceballs, my regular section. First up, we have... Bill Pullman playing Lone Star. Uh, Bill Pullman also most, of course, recognizable for the films such as Independence Day, Lost Highway, Newswe- Newsies, <laughs> not Newsways, Newsies, <laughs> and A League of Their Own in 1982. I thought she was going to say The Newsboys. The Newsboys. <laughs> That's a different movie. <laughs> not a Bill Pullman flick. Although maybe it would have been better if it was. <laughs> we'll find out when we do that podcast in No, I thought that, was a, thought that was a musical group there, Kyle. Wasn't The Newsboys a musical that was really up to a film, I thought? That was the Newsies, wasn't it? We're going forward. <laughs> we have John Candy playing the Dogman Barf. Dogman. <laughs> it's half dog, half man. Barf. That's how I'll uh, He's a bog. He's half dog, half man. <laughs> yes. Um, John you got to throw these little things at John Kyle. Candy. <laughs> also, of course, most recognizable for his roles, such as uh, uh, the uh, curtain ring salesman in Planes, Trains, and Automobiles great in 1987. Movie. Uncle Buck, great movie. Well, it's, it's John Candy, great movie. <laughs> Just throw <laughs> hand in hand. Says. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the Great Outdoors, Summer Rental, Cool Runnings, and Who's Harry Crumb? Oh, John delirious. Candy. Leg- oh, delirious. Oh, man. Oh, what? Mm. <laughs> Delirious is like probably a lower end of John Candy movies. Oh, I you're crazy! Still good. Great movie. It's weird. <laughs> what was the one? What was the one where he was like had like the the date on the, the Wrigley Field or something in Chicago? You know what I'm talking about? Oh, and he played that one guy. What? Nothing to lose or something? Where he was the Brewster's Millions? I think you're thinking of. No, maybe. no, no, no. That's where he played. Where he was, I can't forget the name of it. Starring that one. Um, I think Bruce Williams. Okay, thought it was. All right, but John Candy, of course, legendary actor. We'll play. I'm sure we'll cover more of his films as the time goes on. Oh, absolutely, <laughs> because he is incredible. Then we have Rick Moranis, also an incredible actor, playing Dark Helmet. 
Rick Moranis also both easily recognized for movies such as uh, Parenthood in 1989, Ghostbusters, Little Shop of Horrors in 1986, and Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, and Little Giants, and the Flintstone movie. Kyle, don't forget, he was also in the Blues Brothers, John Candy is, Blues Brothers uh, Vacation, where they get to Wally World. Oh, that's right, Wally Splash, World. Splash, Summer Rental, Little Shop of Horrors. Home Alone, where he plays like one random guy. <laughs> one random guy. Um, I'm trying to find that one. Um, Nothing but Trouble was the name of the one Nothing but Trouble. Oh, he's crazy. Uh, he's like the dog. Yeah, age. but it's like a, <laughs> just a dog's In age. a barf sage. <laughs> a mug. Okay. <laughs> Mog, half man, half dog. Okay, Mog. <laughs> uh, okay, next up we have Daphne Seneca playing Princess Vespa. Uh, she, of course, is best known for movies such as the 1985 movie The Sure Thing, the 1989 movie The Fly 2, <laughs> and 1989 The Outer Limits. Kyle? Mm-hmm. Funny, you don't look Jewish. <laughs> you don't not look Jewish. <laughs> Christmas Vespa. I didn't think of Vespa being a Jewish name. <laughs> This movie is so fun. You know. It's just so fun. So many yeah. one liners. Yeah, it's, 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 it's less obvious than Princess Princess. What are you, right? Colonel Sanders? Chicken? Chicken. <laughs> <laughs> speed. They've gone plaid. <laughs> yeah. Then of course we have the the big man on campus. We have Mel Group Mel Brooks playing uh, President Scrooge and Yogurt. <laughs> Do you know that Scrooge is a uh, uh, was an an an. an it's a play on his name. An anagram of... Yeah, play on his name. Scroob. Oh, Brooks. Brooks. Yeah. Yes, that is an excellent question. But also, Scroob is a funny you know, name <laughs> for an idiot. So, it works out both ways. Mel Brooks, always self-deprecating in a great way. Um, of course, he's best known for directing, producing, and writing, and starring in movies such as History of the World Part 1, The Producers, Blazing Saddles, Young Frankenstein, oh, and Robin Hood and the Men in Tights. Such great movies right there. Uh, so, what's... What, just, Quick, quick. Who, what's your favorite Mel Brooks film? Young, young Frankenstein, hands Young down. Frankenstein, hands down. I, I might be partial to Blazing Saddles, probably. That's probably yeah, that's a hilarious one, yeah. <laughs> Then we have uh, Dick Van Patten playing King Roland. Um, he was in films such as the 1973 um, release of Westworld and also Soylent Green and the Robin Hood Men in Tights movie with Mel Brooks as well. <laughs> then we have George Weiner plays. Uh, George Weiner plays Colonel Sanders. <laughs> Uh, no relation. <laughs> he was in pretty recent movies, such as uh, the 2009 movie The S- a Serious Man. Um, in 2001, he um, he was, uh, I believe, the principal in Not Another Teen Movie. And then in 1997, he also played in the movie The Postman. I believe the uh, Kevin Costner. Kevin Costner. Right. That's a fantastic, great, movie. excellent movie. And uh, man, that's a weird movie to, and a weird book. If you ever got a chance to look at the book too, it's. Uh, no, no, you, no, you probably just looked at the book. He never opened the book. To I read get the it. spark notes. <laughs> I wrote a, I wrote a report notes. on that for school once. <laughs> it was, it was very weird. <laughs> no, 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 it wasn't this Kyle. It was another Kyle. Not another Kyle. A different Kyle. A barf Kyle. <laughs> Dogman Kyle. Mog. Uh, Mog. Um, okay. Next up, we have next up we have Michael Winslow playing radar te- playing the radar technician. Um, you of course recognize Michael Winslow from the Police Academy series if you watched all those. He was also in the 1984 film Gremlin, where he was the voice of Mogwai and the other Gremlins. Really? Yes, he was. And he was also in Alphabet Alphabet City. Um, Michael Winslow also just like a legendary voice actor in his own little right because oh, yeah. he just you know a man of a million sounds. Basically. Well, Mel Brooks did say that. He said, why would we hire us to uh, do all these sound effects when we got this guy that could do them and probably save me a couple hundred or thousand dollars? Easily. Like, easily. Out of he, does, he does a great job of it. You know, just, uh, he's just 
Yeah. Uh, Police Academy series. I don't think that's... Uh, it's, it's never really good. <laughs> Something Under Siege was really good. It, it's, certainly got a, it's certainly got a strong following. I respect that. It's got a cult following. But I've, I've also, like... I've gone back to those movies and like, hmm. They have the cartoon, too. Yeah, yeah. And I don't mean, like, age poorly, like, you know, you know, cops is a bit of a taboo subject nowadays. But also, <laughs> it, doesn't, it doesn't age poorly in that sense. I'm like, maybe the jokes were never that good in the first place. That's, Stop. That's where I'm going. Police Academy was pretty good. And then, like, Cut. I laugh a few times in the sequels. And the last one's just Dude, like. Dude, when Bobcat Goldwave comes in as Zed. It just. I, I love I love Bobcat <laughs> Goldwave, too. I love a lot of the actors in that series. But as a series as a whole, I'm like, but the podcast is not about Police Academy. Monday we'll cover that, and I'll be giving my misgivings then. <laughs> Going forward, we have Joan River playing the voice of Doc Matrix. Um, you'll, of course, recognize Joan River as being a, basically an excellent comedian in her own right and a talk show host. Um, she was in movies such as the 1994 film Serial Mom and the 1984 film The Muppets Take Manhattan and the 1968 film The Swimmer, which I've never seen The Swimmer before. But All right, that was the voice of Dot Matrix. Who was actually inside of Dot Matrix? Do you who was inside of Dot Matrix? That's the question we all have in our minds. It was Laureen Yarnell Jones- Jansen. Johnson? Jansen? Jansen? I don't know. But she played Dot in the costume. Um, she was in movies such as Bye Bye Birdie in 1963 and The Wild Wild West um, Revisited in 1979. And she was also part of the Wonder Woman series in 1978. Really? Yes. That is a cast for Spaceballs. Mm-hmm. The podcast. The podcast. All right, Kyle. <laughs> this, is, this is such a fun movie to talk about. It's actually one that you can sit down and just, if you're a Star Wars fan especially, it multiplies the hilarity of this movie Absolutely. exponentially. This is a companion piece, a parody. You know, It's something you watch to, to poke in fun at itself in a really fun way. And we'll talk about it later in, later in the notes. Uh, George Lucas actually got uh, gave Mel Brooks permission. Uh, to, he said, make fun of anything you, you want. you know. But there were some stipulations that we'll talk about that George put. So... Uh, one thing right off the bat, uh, the famous diner scene. If you look in the parking lot, the Millennium Falcon is sitting there parked at the <laughs> diner scene before you go. It's over there on the right no hand shame. side. So love it. The uh, Millennium Falcon there making the little cameo appearance in Spaceballs, which I had never really paid attention to till I just saw it uh, in the notes. So that was pretty cool. <laughs> uh, and Industrial Light and Magic did help with this movie. So George Lucas, you know. Let him use his special effects and stuff. So I, he threw I, yeah, stuff, so. George Lucas, I mean, despite like uh, some of his eccentricities, is also very humorful and willing to poke fun of himself when the time's right. And I believe also really likes Mel Brooks. So personally. here you go. In, in a 2013 television, inter, television interview uh, before the uh, AFI Lifetime Achievement Award, Mel Brooks stated that he personally obtained George Lucas's full permission to parody any and all things Star Wars related, but the one condition that absolutely... No merchandise of any kind be produced from this movie. This is the reason why all yogurt in the Dinks do is merchandise. <laughs> it is also why none of the merchandise seen to this movie was ever mass produced or publicly sold anyway. That and Star Wars the Flamethrower, or Spaceballs the Flamethrower might not have passed certain standards at the time. The right? Flamethrower, safe for kids. <laughs> um, of all the jokes in this movie, Mel Brooks's favorite, the two most favorite running gags was... The one about merchandising like Spaceballs, the breakfast cereal, Spaceballs, the t-shirt, etc. And Colonel Sanders renting Spaceballs while they're still filming the film. Mm. That's one of my favorites. It's fantastic. Like, when did this happen in the movie? <laughs> now, sir. This is now. He's like, yeah, yeah. Fast, for- now. fast forward this part. Never, 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 never show never again. <laughs> so good. So good. Oh, man. Yeah. 
Movie rentals, the VHS, <laughs> Space Balls. <laughs> There's like a whole bunch of... Yeah, everything else you Blazing Saddles, Young Frankenstein's era too. Yeah. Uh, the scene in which Dark Helmet is playing with the, the dolls is not in the screenplay. Writer, producer, and director Mel Brooks came up with the idea on the set one day and told this to Rick Moranis, who then improvised the entire scene. <laughs> That's fantastic. <laughs> yes. Where you, just, uh, you just know you got Rick Murray on set. You know he knows what he's doing. Just trust him to go. He's fine. Right. He doesn't need any guidance at all. He's a he's, he's a great performer. <laughs> hey, Mel Brooks. Uh, he played yogurt. Uh, he said that the gold colored makeup gave him a terrible rash all over his face and neck, uh, and that also his knees hurt him. Even though he wore the knee pads, that he had to walk around on his knees the entire time. So, wow. Mm-hmm. He's committed to his work. He's committed to his art. You know, I, I, that's always to be uh, uh, to be uh, praised. I believe. <laughs> Uh, the castle on the planet Juridia is King Ludwig II's Neuschwanstein Castle in Bavaria. I'm probably slaughtering that. It has been modified, you know, by a map painting with additional ramps added. The Neuschwan Castle has been featured in many motion pictures, as well as its original inspiration for all the Disney theme park castles. So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I mean, like, like you know, for 1987, like I mentioned before, like it was made for just 22.7 million dollars. Which isn't which isn't nothing, but it's also very modest even for a movie like that. So definitely like Mel Brooks, like um, not you know not cutting cutters at any expense, but like save money where it was appropriate to make his film. Uh, Rick Moranis was the one that suggested John Candy for the role of Barf. So thank you, Rick. John Candy ad libbed his line, "Oh, that's going to leave a mark." <laughs> When he gets up uh, without it doing his that's definitely, <laughs> that's, that's probably that. one of the earliest memories I've seen a film uh, take where it's like, oh, that was clearly a mistake they just left in because it was uh, it got good. But it's something you just look at him like, oh, oh no, <laughs> that was that was a mistake. <laughs> <laughs> it's gonna leave a really bad mark. Uh, when they when the uh, spaceball one's gonna blow up and they all launch out of the escape pods, those are actually. Uh, unused clips from Star Wars Episode Four: A New Hope, uh, which was provided by Lucasfilm to Mel Brooks. <laughs> um, according to Mel Brooks, George Lucas actually loved this movie and wrote him a letter after its premiere saying he thought he was going to bust something from laughing so hard. Lucas also told Brooks he had, uh, had he not chosen to parody Star Wars, this movie would have succeeded as a great adventure movie. Brooks said he was extremely flattered by Lucas's compliments and support. So if George Lucas liked it, you know. Everybody, yeah, it makes the past. George Lucas was clearly, you know, like, like I said, he's willing to self-deprecate himself all he kind of wants, so as long as you don't touch his merchandising rights, which he also books one at, which is fun. <laughs> so Sir John Hurt claimed that Mel Brooks talked him into self-parody his role from Alien in 1979 by making it sound like it would be just a brief walk-on cameo. <laughs> Only when Hurt came to the set did he realize that the entire scene from the chestbuster scene from Alien was a elaborate smooth. And he, Hurt said he thought he had a lot, ought to have asked for a salary. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, probably. I didn't know he wasn't like this. Just, I, I, I would have thought they would have been on that gag from the start about how extensive it would have been. Like, no, you're reading this entire scene. No, no, now. you're just walking in and just, hi, I'm John. <laughs> yeah, man, that's why you don't order the soup. <laughs> What do you the order? Special. This, oh, the special. Oh, that's right, the special. Check, please. Yeah. What do you order? The special. Wait, I ordered the special. Uh, the barf con to, uh, costume was operated by three people. John Candy operated barf's tail using a hidden control in his paw, while two assistants controlled uh, each controlled an ear. Can, uh, Candy's costume was powered by a 30-pound battery that he wore on his back. Ooh, gosh. Man. And after Imagine this, hit that around all day. He could have played, probably played the Hunchback of Notre Dame after this. Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> uh, every time Dark Helmet has his face covered, his voice is lowered and more basal, similar to James Earl Jones when he played Darth Vader. 
He also speaks with an African accent. In the DVD commentary, Mel Brooks says that Dark Helmet's voice changing whenever his face was covered was actually Rick Moranis's idea. So he wanted to have that distinct voice between, you know, Lord Helmet, and then when it's up. Yeah, which is what he's just for Rick Moranis. And I think that, yeah, it's, that it makes. I'm surprised Mel Brooks didn't have that idea himself, but of course, Rick Moranis being a great actor and a great performer and great comedian was like, of course I do this. <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> he probably do it without even thinking, would even say, like, of course you do this, this is just what I'm doing. And then Mel Brooks just stops, like, what are you doing? Like, comedy. <laughs> it goes right back to filming. <laughs> Um, a full face mask, this is part of the Barf's costume, a full face mask resembled a wrinkled bulldog was originally constructed for Barf, but Mel Brooks quipped that if they were going to hide John Candy behind a mask, he might as well hire someone else for half the price. A nose and upper lip piece was tried next, which Candy approved of, but again, Mel Brooks did not. Finally, they sewed on animatronic ears connected to a hairpiece, a small nose application, and a patch over one eye, just like the dog Petey from Our Gang. Mm-hmm. It's definitely like a lot of the, you know, it's like, when it comes to practical effects of the 80s and earlier, it's just like if you don't have, like, you know, like the big name stars are never going to have that much makeup stuff on their face because if they can perform, why wear makeup? You right. want to see their face to perform. So, yeah, or John gonna, Candy. Or if you're going to slap a mask on somebody, just get anybody off the streets. Ex- ex- that, yeah, at that point, just be barf, you know, just, you know then he wouldn't be the iconic character he is today. Right. Uh, six complete dot matrix suits were built for Lauren Yarnell Jansen to wear. And all of them were used up due to breakage on set. For the interior scenes, the feet were outfitted with roller skates. Uh, but for the desert exterior, she was given flat bottom shoes. Dot's face was somewhat inspired by Joan Rivers, who had already been contracted to provide the voice. Here you go, Kyle. Here's all the space uh, space balls merchandise shown in this movie. They include... Give it to me. A bed sheet. Which one of these would you have liked to own? A bed sheet. All of them. <laughs> flamethrower lunch well, I can't trust you with the flamethrower um, I thought I wouldn't want it though lunchbox cornflakes towels yogurt doll toilet paper shaving cream placemat action figures um, and uh, part of the fair use agreement between Mel Brooks and George Lucas very few legitimate Spaceballs items ever existed in the real world with the exception of the lunchbox and coloring book are simply the Transformers 1984 products with a Spaceballs logo stuck on them. <laughs> the few items that were released, however, all kept up the running gag established in the film by labeling Spaceballs the book, Spaceballs the soundtrack, Spaceballs the poster magazine, and Spaceballs the postcard. That's good. But you can yeah. actually see Optimus Prime yeah, I, on the lunchbox. I know. It looks so, it's so bad. It's, it's so awesome. out of the place. It's like, Optimus Prime appears in this film. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Tesla Motors has used Spaceball Starship Speeds, Light Speed, Ridiculous Speed, Ludicrous Speed, and Plaid Speed as inspiration for naming their acceleration modes. In homage to this movie, Tesla has Ludicrous Mode for acceleration beyond its insane mode and plaid mode and over top Ludicrous. <laughs> Another reason we like Elon Musk. Well, <laughs> <laughs> to a degree. Um, I have misgivings. He's fine. I don't hate the, him. <laughs> the box for Spaceballs, the breakfast cereal, says it contains 100% sugar. 100% sugar. You open it up. You open it up and it's just dump <laughs> out sugar. <laughs> yeah. uh, James Conn was the original choice to play Lone Star, and I just don't know if that would have worked very well. I don't know. I, I, you know, Bill Pullman is actually like underrated as an actor, like just being a great straight man. So I think Lone Star being this, like, <laughs> I, well. Unfortunately, he was struggling with addiction issues at the time. Uh, then unknown Bill Pullman won the role, and Kane was deemed too expensive to insure. So, mm-hmm. eh. yeah. Spaceballs, the book, the novelization by who? R.L. Stein reveals the names of the Dinks to be. Are you ready for the Dinks' names? <laughs> okay, go for it. Rinky Dink, Blinky Dink, Kyle's favorite, Stinky Dink. Stinky Dink. I love that one. Pinky Dink, mm-hmm. Pinky Dink, and Winky Dink. <laughs> 
Kyle's face. That's just the, Kyle's face, and we can just see it right now. <laughs> yeah, when a, you know, not not to say what it is, but when a lady asks you what you call it, if you use any of those names, she's gonna run away. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm Blinky Dink. <laughs> I'm Stinky Dink. Oh no. <laughs> Uh, the Steve, worst Snow White movie ever made. <laughs> uh, Steve Martin was the original choice for Colonel Sanders. I think he would have... Him and Rick Moranis together would have been just crazy. Oh, great. Uh, pay close attention to Pizza the Hut's sidekick, Vinny. You will notice that it is an excellent example of makeup artistry and an incredible use of shading techniques. Vinny's metallic look was successfully achieved without any silicone prosthetics whatsoever, relying solely on makeup. That is really Which impressive. he looks really good. It reminds me, oh, what was that? Kind of like the iconic, like, wasn't like John Matrix or something like that. It was Johnny, not not Johnny, like the, the animatronic head that was like, you know, big. Uh, Max, like, Max Headroom? Max Headroom, yeah, that's right. It reminded me a lot of that yeah. like, in, a, in a nice way. Not exactly one-to-one, but of course you understand. Kyle, you know. Tim Russ, do you know who Tim Russ is? Uh, not off the top of my head. He played Tuvok in Star Trek Voyager. Oh, that's right, yes. He played the Spaceball Trooper in the... Comb the desert scene. We ain't seen yes. that. Yes, that's that is actually too much, <laughs> yeah. which we will not mention here. But if you've seen that, anything, in, we haven't yeah. seen anything. <laughs> what, Jimbo? I don't understand why you, why you hesitate. One of the greatest scenes in the movie, man. Hilarious. Mm-hmm. Um, Mel Brooks tried to get either Tom Cruise or Tom Hanks for the role of Captain Lone Star again. I would have liked to see him Tom Cruise because I think it would have been funny just to see him because he's a big action star, you know what I mean? That's just too close to his actual beliefs, yeah. so. <laughs> oh, wow. um, moving on. Uh, the Wilhelm Scream, once again, as many, we're going to do a whole episode on the Wilhelm Scream. Kyle, that's your... That's your uh, next assignment. Assignment. <laughs> yeah, so get right next, on that. The next time I say that, Kyle's going to take a rabbit trail down the Wilhelm Scream and then you can go on to your All tangent. in the mass compilation. Uh, when Barf holds up the curved tubes deflecting the shots of the four of the bad guys back at them, the fourth one screams at Wilhelm as he is shot in the rear. So, there you have it. <laughs> Uh, in 2015, it was rumored Mel Brooks had expressed uh, an interest in making a long-awaited sequel with Bill Pullman and Daphne Zuniga returning. But some cast members won't be returning, such as John Candy, Joan Rivers, and Dick Van Patten. Know why? Because they passed they away. They all sadly <laughs> passed away, right? Yeah. And they're not sure if Rick Moranis would come back as Lord Helmet, but... Man, I miss that guy in Hollywood, but I understand why he did what he did. Oh, yeah, To spend definitely. time with yeah. his kids and yeah, everything. Yeah. So. No, it's just like he just... But in 2015, they thought, a lot of speculation was they were going to do uh, a parody of Star Wars The Force Awakens, which I can only imagine how funny Mel Brooks that, was like that. That's why I think you... Like, I, I think, like, I would just bring back Bill Pullman as, like, an old Han Solo type and just have him do just, a whole just throw the shorts over the side exactly. of the car. Exactly. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but Lord Helmet, man... Oh man, it'd be great. Oh yeah, yeah, no, no, no. But also, like, what is the Kylo Ren equivalent of Lord Helmet? Um, you know, <laughs> right? I gotta imagine what that is. <laughs> Lord Moody Teen, basically. Uh, the starship <laughs> in this movie's beginning takes one minute and thirty-two seconds to cross the screen. She has. She also has the uh, "We Break for Nobody" bumper sticker on her. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, oh yeah, yeah. But the, for the. Uh, <laughs> the license plate on Princess also reads "Spoiled Rotten." Yeah, <laughs> I, I think that was funny too. <laughs> Um, the costume designer uh, Donfeld based the look of Barf on his own colleague Bosco, as well as the Cowardly Lion from The Wizard of Oz and Lassie. For a second, I thought you were just going to say Bob Hoskins. For, I don't know why. <laughs> for the dog man, we thought who better a dog wow. man than Bob Hoskins? <laughs> I thought he was going to say Bosco sticks. You know those cheese-filled pepperoni. That too. Pizza <laughs> what if you cross Bob Hoskins and Bosco sticks? You get Barf. <laughs> <laughs> um. Mel Brooks asked if Daphne Zuniga wanted someone else to sing the bit where Vespa's in the cell singing Nobody Knows the Trouble I've Seen. You know, that mm-hmm. real deep voice. Yeah, yeah. 
But no, she insists she could do it, and it's actually her singing it. That's fantastic. Yeah, it's pretty low. Mm-hmm. Uh, Rick Lazzarini, the creator, uh, the creature FX designer who made John Kennedy's animatronic ears, also plays Pizza the Hut and one of the apes <laughs> from Planet of the Apes. Just also there, yeah. That's great. Uh, those guys, uh, that's a great movie too, though. <laughs> the planet Juridia, being surrounded by a planet enclosed shield, was reused for Rogue One, a Star Wars story. Which in that movie, the planet Scarif is protected by a planet enclosing shield. Uh, Rick Melanis uh, improvised the scene where Darko was playing with the spatial protection mirror, saying, It gets a little dirty here. <laughs> <laughs> uh, George Lucas asked, Please, that Lone Star does not dress like Oslo. So instead, Mel Brooks had him dress up like Indiana Jones. <laughs> Barf is portrayed as a dog because Chewbacca was in fact inspired by Lucas's dog Indiana, who is also Indy's namesake. So that's hilarious. Mel Brooks still taking jabs at him. Go down the whole rabbit hole. He was rehearsing self arbitral stuff. Brenda Strong, who plays the nurse of the plastic surgeon, also had a part in Starship Troopers as Captain Deladier of the ship Roger Young. I've heard that. Dom DeLuise does a voiceover in the film, namely Pizza the Hut. He passed away on May 4th, which is known by Star Wars fans as Star Wars Day because May the 4th sounds like May the May Force. Yeah, yeah, May the 4th. Yeah. The whole Pizza Hut scene, too. Like, I like that whole... That, <laughs> that whole costume sounds like a death trap when it, they were describing it. Yeah, I, there's, a, there's a scene where if you look, you can see the actor's chin in there. You know where he's mouth and It's just dripping. Uh, the, but I want to say, like, he got like, covered in first-degree burns in the whole scene, too, because oh, like, it was, uh, like, really was melted cheese just pouring uh, down on him. And all that heat and stuff was, like, all... It was a very practical effect of, like, using pizza stuff to make... Pizza Dot. Oh, man. So gross. I couldn't imagine what that was like. <laughs> uh, at 43 minutes, the shot of the Dark Helmet on the land, in the land speeder was accomplished by placing a mirror along the bottom to reflect the sand and create the illusion that he's levitating. So it's actually mirrors. It's really well well done, but also poorly done, too. <laughs> so- exactly, exactly. Perfectly done poorly. <laughs> uh, Mel Brooks also uh, imported the phony sequel here for the hypothetical... Spaceballs 2, The Search for More Money. Mm-hmm. I really hope we get a sequel someday uh, I could, before I, Mel Brooks I, goes. Yeah, you know, even if he even if he unfortunately passes before the film ever gets made, I think like there's never you know it's never out of the realm possibility that Spaceballs could have a future. I think I, I would I, I would I would hope so. I would love to see more Spaceball stuff because making fun of Star Wars is always fun. <laughs> uh, Kyle, the alien that pops out of certain John Hurt's chest and starts singing "Hello, My Baby" and dancing with the hand cane is a parody of who? The Xenomorph from what? What do you mean? Oh, a parody. Oh, uh, oh, was it the Frog character? Did it first? Michigan J. Frog. Yeah, from Michigan Looney J. Frog. Tunes. Yes, that's right. Uh, I, I, I didn't know which, which one was actually done first, though. I didn't know if that was like an already a trend in the movies to have that one scene. I can't remember. Uh, the, it was in the old Hollywood stuff. That yeah. I don't know. <laughs> the camera team reflected uh, back in black helmet of one trooper in a close shot during the desert scene. Um, there's also the footprints of the crew and actors and horses in the Planet of the Apes scenes are all visible on the ground, possibly as a reference to the same goof in the original movie. Mm-hmm. So, um, whenever Doc Matrix is sitting down, her skirt is made of leather. However, when she stands up and walks, it is now metal. So, Kyle, there's just our little rundown of Spaceballs. What is your thoughts and feelings on Spaceballs? The podcast, <laughs> you know, Spaceball. This podcast is a good one. I think it's a it's it's an, you know running for a good long time now, and I feel like I'm getting it's entering its its next great phase, next great second wind, or even its first <laughs> one, even. And uh, you know, I, I I enjoy passing wind, so like oh. Spaceball's podcast is a good thing. Spaceball is the movie, though. I am <laughs> <up> on that. <laughs> 
Um, Spaceballs movie is an excellent film. Um, George Lucas loved it. I loved it. And I think making fun of Star Wars is a lot of fun, even as time goes on. Especially since now we're punching up because we get to make fun of Disney, too, at the same time. <laughs> so get, making fun of Disney and everything that uh, Mel Brooks does is, uh, you know, Mel Brooks is just a terrific comedian, fantastic writer, and Horace Rick Moranis, John Candy. Like, you know, this was an all-star cast, even when they were all-stars, too. Like, they, were, they were going huge in their career, too. And uh, Bill Pullman, I think, is an underrated actor in many respects. So this is a fantastic film that Richard brings all these good pieces together and makes a lot of fun jokes it's not meant to be taken seriously or even like high art comedy but it's definitely just like it's fun to sit around and just let it go um it's uh it's uh <laughs> kind of film like you got to be free with yourself you got to be comfortable with yourself to just, just let the fun happen and not just like expect it to be something more and i really appreciate that so i think Spaceballs is an excellent film well worth watching you know families included all that kind of stuff and uh give mel brooks more money that's why i say um jimbo what do you think about Spaceballs? well Kyle, let me ask you a question if they were going to remake this movie mm-hmm. who would you cast as some of the characters who would I cast as some of the characters? That is a good question, Jimbo, and I'm going to buy time by making random noises. And I'll just go. I am <laughs> a... <laughs> I'll just go ahead and give my thoughts while you're thinking about it. Uh, yeah, this is a great movie. This is one of the first Mel Brooks movies I can remember seeing, um, just because I was such a huge Star Wars fan. Now Lord of the Rings has probably taken over that spot because it's really fantastic. But um, I got it. I got it. Um, I'm going to use the entire cast of Stranger Things. And just put them all in random Star Wars roles. Have like a I, the sheriff from Stranger Things be the Bill Pullman character Lone Star as a remake. But that's fine. You know what I'm going to do? I'm yeah. going to put the entire cast of The Office. Casey <laughs> Michael Scott as Lord Elman. I think you just recut other scenes where you just edit the clothes on them, and then that's that's just the movie. Uh, the Office and saving, saving, <laughs> saving money. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, this is this is a great movie. Uh, if, if you can't laugh at a movie, making fun of another movie, what can you laugh at? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Um, uh, we all know that Mel Brooks has done Blazing Saddles. He's He makes fun of everybody. And that's one thing. If he's going to offend one person, he's offending everybody. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I, I would say, like, yeah, like. I wouldn't say a film. Well, I, I, I would say I mean, like there are movies that make fun of other movies that are still bad, like the scary movies, oh, like all that yeah. whole series. That's that's terrible. <laughs> I'm not going to do that. But like Mel Brooks, like he makes fun of them, and also in a way that Curly states like he has a lot of love for these films too. He really does appreciate them himself, and he's making fun of them out of a sense of fun and you know out of love. He's making fun of them out of love because he wants to show hey, he appreciates them and make fun of all the little hokey things about it. So Mel Brooks specifically does parodies much better than like many other film producers. Um, even today so that's why I would say about that <laughs> right um, and and I don't know right now number one if another movie like this could be made another Mel Brooks type-ish movie could be made uh, in today's age and number two I don't know really know if there's a director out there that would or I can't think of oh, one I off the they, top of my head I that I would could. put in there I've, you know I, I think people are just a little too um, it's People are too afraid of fake wokeness nowadays that they'd be canceled for making any joke at all. Right. And I think that's... I, I largely disagree with that. <laughs> I think there's like a quote just a couple weeks ago, like, you know, Johnny Depp warns about the the the, 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 the power of cancel culture as he accepts his Lifetime Achievement Award. He's successful. He got a Lifetime Achievement Award. He's not canceled. So well, you, know, like you know what I just read? I think it was last night. That Dan Aykroyd now wants Ghostbusters to be canceled. He does, he's, he said it shouldn't. He said it just needs to be taken from the history books. But, 
And he's like, because there was some stuff in the in the original Ghostbusters that should have never been said or never or something. Was, that was his idea in the first place, right? So, I, but also like Dan Aykroyd wants to sell Skull Vodka, so right. <laughs> don't really so. You know, there are aspects like there are always going to be aspects of things that are going to age a little bit poorly. But in general, like things like Ghostbusters, I think are actually pretty timeless, and you can overlook a lot of those misgivings, especially in the films we covered. We've covered many films that have some you know poorly aged aspects to them, but are still overall good films. So I think it's about paying respect to that, and also seeing like what is the intention of the time, because like you know everyone slips up every now and again. We've all slipped up from time to time. Where like we said something, we're like you know like actually we may have punched down there, we may have punched up, or like made a joke about something at their expense, we didn't realize it. You know. Or like, you know, just things that we learned that are wrong and we didn't know they were wrong before we actually, you know, spread them out loud. And so, I think... So, since you're on this little rabbit hole... Go, go for it. Let me ask you a question. So, Kyle, do you think that um, somebody, uh, an actor, mm-hmm. that had said something 20 or 30 years ago when times were different, do you think that they should be blackballed or held accountable now for things that happened 30 years ago? Because I, I remember seeing a post, I think it was Sarah Silverman, maybe... Where she made fun of Britney Spears or something, or a skit or something on Saturday Night Live or something like that. Um, something like that. Do you think there should be repercussions where they just cancel them out of history altogether? So, I mean, that's the thing, which is like, if they're being held accountable for it, that means like they have to, like, you know, they have to answer for it because they never answered for it in the past. So it's like one of the things, like, if, like, uh, like, okay, let's say now sorry. we're not talking about like Bill Cosby, okay? Because we know what he did. That's a, that's a crime. Well, that's, 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 that's different. That's just different. Like, that's a literal crime he committed, right? Um, in the case of like saying like bad words stuff like that, you know, it's just like um, okay, I'm going to use Jerry Seinfeld as an example. Like Jerry Seinfeld re- recently had an interview where he's like, you know, like oh yeah, in terms of cancel culture, just get over it. I'm going to keep doing my thing, and you're going to just have to deal with it. And then someone's like, he's never answered the fact that he wants like when he was 37, he dated an, like an, a 17 year old girl. You know, it's one of those things. Like that's pretty disgusting. Reprehensible in a lot of ways, and he's never taken responsibility for that at all. He's never really been canceled for it. So it's one of those things. Like many actors are never held responsible for that, and even when they are, they still give a bad answer even today. So it's one of those things. Like if they're still giving bad answers today and never saw what they did was wrong, then yeah, that's when we're like, you could probably pretty much kind of cancel them because like it's clear they haven't learned the lessons they should have learned from back then. It's okay to make mistakes, but it's important that you learn from them. And if you were willfully ignorant even today, then you shouldn't continue. But, to be but my question to you is like part. Dan Aykroyd coming out and saying that this is wrong in Ghostbusters. It should it should be taken from the shelves. Do you think that? Do you think things should be taken out of history like that in movies, like let's say Blazing Saddles, Gone with the Wind, whatever? Do you think they should be taken and restricted out of the movie theater, or no, do you think no. they should stay in there as a learning process history? It just because of cinematic exactly. history. Exactly. Yeah, you know, it's cinematic history, and it's also important to recognize um, aspects of rehearsable history. I mean, like you know, it's just like it's one of those things. Like if you if you don't if you don't um, if you don't witness the mistakes of history, you're doesn't repeat it yourself. That's kind of an old old phrase for many things. Like you know, like that's like goes like all the darkest things in the world. Like you know, the history of World War II and you know Nazis and slavery and all those other kind of things in history. Like if you don't learn how bad they were and why they were wrong, then you're destined to kind of repeat those same mistakes. Mm-hmm. So I think like. Um, you know, in terms of like erasing from history, absolutely not. But maybe you can do things that kind of like uh, be more open. Like if Dan Aykroyd has misgivings about Ghostbusters now, then they should probably 
then I think it'd be appropriate if he wanted to to do like another print where like they like either he alters the scenes where he has now for like a future release, or if he even has like a, a little um, pre um, text thing saying like these are the things we don't agree with this one anymore, or you know, stop, this is the film now. stop taking the paycheck you're still getting off of royalties off of it too, <laughs> or take that money and donate it to something that you felt you wronged in the past. There are multiple ways to get through this. And so that's why I kind of like, you know, I think like the idea of cancel culture is something that I don't really like, you know, I, I, I don't, I'm not afraid of to any degree. Like if mm-hmm. I say something wrong in this podcast and you held comment before it, it's up to me to kind of learn and understand why that was wrong. And then, <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, that just yeah. happened a few weeks ago. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I came close to a misstep last week and chose to edit it out. Not a big deal. But even if it didn't went live and someone called me out on it, I would make a heartfelt apology and also like show why, like, why what I said was wrong, and then show what I'm going to do for it to be better about it. You know, that's that's on me, though. And if I choose not to, then it's totally fair for someone to go, like, well, I'm not going to listen to your podcast anymore, or I'm going to leave, or, like, you know, think you're canceled in my eye, or, like, if I ever have a work to hire you for, I'm going to choose not to hire you. Right. That's fair. You know, that is, like, that is, you know, that is the free market at work in many degrees. So it's just, like, one of those things where, like, it doesn't, that doesn't frighten me. That's just being held accountable for the things that I'm doing, and, like, you know, having consequences for my actions mean my actions matter all the more. Mm. So that means you know, that, that's good for me. That means if I do good things, good things come to me. If I do bad things, bad things happen to me. So it's up to me to kind of make the judgment on myself. So, like, be good people. <laughs> Try you know, and Kyle, learn. I think, I think you're, you're at your best when I throw you on the spot with a random question that you haven't even thought about. You just went off <laughs> on a whole thesaurus on me, a thesis, and I was just like, you know, you know, I know it's been building up inside of you about the cancel culture because we've talked several times and you're just like, I just don't get it. You know? Like, well, it's, you know, yeah. Or, yeah, this is, yeah, this is a comment where, like, I get on my, I get in my soapbox for an occasion, <laughs> but also just like a broken clock strike twice a day. So sometimes you're gonna ask me a question. You're like, "Well, actually, I do have a whole thesis on this in the back of my head." So that's what I think about cancel culture and uh, all those kind of things where like people being held way too accountable for things. Like, I, I, I understand the frustration, but also like there are meaningful good things you can do with it right. that I think more people should um, take advantage of. <laughs> well, now that the mog is done with... <laughs> what do you think, Spaceballs Jimbo? <laughs> oh, yeah. We <laughs> haven't done that. Well, I did, but I went out this rabbit hole because I asked you one little question. You're like, I got it. I'm going to recast him as this. Yeah. Like well, now said, that you mentioned it. <laughs> I don't get offended as easily as some other people. Um, I can watch any of Mel Brooks movies pretty much and be like, okay, that was hilarious. You know what I mean? Now, is there some jokes in there that I wouldn't do? Obviously, you mm-hmm. know what I mean? But I'm not going to cancel the whole movie because of a joke or not yeah. like Mel Brooks because of one joke. You know what I mean? Now, if yeah. down the road he does something different, you know, owns slaves, whatever it may be, whatever has happened in yeah. his past, you know, maybe my, my eyes will be open and I'll change my mind. Yeah. But but also, we both got to recognize, like, you know, we're both straight white guys. We're not, we don't know the struggles of people of color or people in the LGBTQ spectrum and all kind of things. We don't know their struggles. So, like, if they had misgivings about the film, I respect that. Right. I'm personally still going to enjoy it because I, you know, I find it enjoyable, but I totally understand if someone else doesn't. Well, that's the thing about movies. Everybody has different tastes in different movies, which is fine. And that's that's, that's why we do this podcast. Like you, you, we did that one a couple of weeks ago uh, in the heat of the night. I had never seen the movie. Mm-hmm. You like it? It's just one of your favorite movies. It was a great movie. Mm-hmm. Um, Sydney Poitier was really good in it. Um, so there's just different movies. Like somebody may watch that and be offended by that movie, whereas somebody like me that watches it for the first time, I'm not offended by it. But then again, like you said, I'm not a, a person of color or. Yeah, you know, anything. we we don't so, fall in many of those minority brackets of, right. of people uh, that like and understand their struggles necessarily. So like, I want to hear them out if they say they have a problem with it. But also like, it doesn't that doesn't mean I can't appreciate it the ways that I still do. Right. So it's all about trying to 
you know, trying to think about things complexly and appreciate things for what they are, for warts and all. You know, that's 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 all things. And love and life and philosophy and all kind of stuff. Like, nothing is totally stainless in terms of, like, you know, all history. Man, you know? who knew that when we started Spaceballs, the podcast today, that it would go I mean, into such a deep... Me getting on my philosophy going Not on only here. that, but it would come down to such a serious manner at the end of the podcast. <laughs> yeah. So, we better bring this back around and light this thing up. So, um... Spaceballs, everybody. <laughs> right. So, I believe next time we are going to be covering if i remember uh shenandoah shenandoah so if you have not seen shenandoah is one of my favorite movies of all time this with, will be one of my first times oh you're it. gonna love it with jimmy stewart jimmy stewart is one of the greatest actors. legendary actor yes mm-hmm. so but i think we went rambling on long enough about space balls uh i can go for another two hours so i can't i know <laughs> we're gonna cancel kyle here in a minute <laughs> Uh, join Kyle on the spinoff on our Patreon. Cancel Kyle. <laughs> so much for the tolerant life. <laughs> Sorry, uh, so, <laughs> so if you'd like to join us uh, on the Facebook group, the Tragedy Cinema Podcast group, uh, we're on there. Uh, if you want to message us, uh, request an episode, we're on there. If you want to leave us a review uh, on Apple iTunes or whatever, uh, we're on pretty much everything now. So um if you want to uh leave a review there we will read on the air i did get a review which we'll i'll probably put on next episode um Mm -hmm. that we can read uh because we record these so far out in advance uh we're actually doing really good right now recording um so we're trying to cut down on the absenteeism that we've had that we can just keep going and keep it pumping out each week exactly uh, hopefully maybe get ahead of the holidays i guess we need to take time off all those kind of things um so Uh, With that being said, I think this episode is coming to a close. And that's a wrap. And cut.